Amen. Miss Big Mike. He's watching, He's watching on YouTube. We miss you here, Big Mike. We miss all of our people. I miss hearing your voices in worship. I miss seeing you in worship. Um, it's just uh, not the same without you, but it's also kind of cool seeing you online. And this morning I'm going to be asking you to interact. So I hope that when I ask you to interact, there won't be crickets. Um, I want to be seeing a lot of activity, dropping in comments. Uh, those of you who are my friends, um, you'll do me this um, service, I hope. So I ventured out to Walmart yesterday, and the first thing I noticed was that there was a police officer at the entrance. So there's a police officer standing there at the entrance telling people, um, you know, don't go in this way, uh, go in this way, you know, in an orderly fashion. So she was standing there and you know, kind of directing people, and that was the end of the orderliness of it because once you got inside, it was like bumper carts. I mean, there were so many people there. Why are there so many people out on the streets? It's, it's crazy. Um, and there was people everywhere. There's this, uh, these, these signs on the floor, uh, the arrows, one way up this aisle, one way. And people are looking at each other, you know, with these disgusted expressions through their masks because, you know, this person doesn't even see the new marking on the floor, which way to go. Um, and it was just abnormal. I mean, it was total chaos. People either ignoring the signs, not seeing them or whatever. Everyone had masks on. It was eerie. It was chaotic and it was anything but normal. And, you know, if you talk to people both inside and outside the church, one of the biggest questions people have on their minds and on their hearts right now is when are things going to get back to normal. Some will phrase it with like some hope, you know, looking forward to a new level of normal. But the common denominator in both of those statements, both of those questions is normal. When are things going to get back to normal? What's the new, new level of normal going to look like? When the reality is that God is always doing something new. God is always moving us from glory to glory. In Isaiah, God said, uh, do you not perceive it? Do you not hear it? Do you not see it? I am doing something new. And so we've named this series not a new level of normal, but a new level of good. Because God came to earth not because things needed to get back to normal, but God came to earth in Jesus because things were really, really abnormal and bad. He came to bring good news. He came to fix things because things were so bad and we couldn't fix ourselves. He came to take it from being broken to being fixed. Jesus came with good news because there was so much bad news. So we're using a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. 
The letter is called Philippians. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. I'm sure most of you will not do that. You'll just look at the screen, and that's perfectly fine, or look at your device. I don't hear any pages flipping over here by the worship team. I love it when I hear those pages flipping, but right now I don't hear any. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right. So she's flipping them. Good. Um, So I, I don't hear any pages flipping. I hear devices, and you guys probably making fun of me over there and text messaging. Um, So (laughs) the letter is called Philippians, and the reason why we're using this letter is because Paul was actually in quarantine. He was in prison. He was quarantined. He's towards the end of his life, and he's in prison. He's, He's quarantined under house arrest. What kinds of things would he write to the people to the people in Philippi, to the Philippian church, and to us. What kinds of things would he write while he was in quarantine, while he was in prison? Probably for the seventh time, by the way, that he was in prison. What would he write? Would he talk about the good old days? You know, would he talk about the good old times when he first met them, when these great things happened, miracles happened? He was in prison at one point, and uh, he was broken out, and the, the jailer was saved, he and his family, and there was amazing things happened. Maybe he would reminisce about the good old days and talk about how he longed for things to get back to normal, where he could go back to those good old days. Would he anticipate a new level of normal. I mean, Paul doesn't write anything about that. He doesn't write anything about getting back to normal or finding a new level of normal. Paul is writing about finding a new level of good, a new level of good, both for himself and for the church and for us. Paul writes that good things are happening in his heart. Good things are happening in his life while he's in quarantine. That good things are all around him. And that he's looking forward to more good things, both for himself and for the people. So I asked earlier, and here's going to be your first opportunity to drop in a comment. And I hope some of you are prepared to do this. But what are some of the good things? What are some of the encouraging things that have happened in your life? that have happened in your house, in your home, in your family, during this time of quarantine, during this time of abnormality, what kinds of good things have happened? What kinds of blessings have happened that wouldn't have happened otherwise? That wouldn't have happened during the normal? What are some of those good things? I believe that we can encourage one another right now. If we just write a comment in the feed, wherever you're watching, and just mention some of those good things, some of those encouraging things, because perhaps something that you're experiencing that's good is something that someone else will also begin to recognize in their own life that's good if you were to share that. Some of the things that are being written right now, spending more time with Jeremy. Alice wrote that. I mean, I'm going to resist. (laughs) I'm going to resist making a smart comment 
Um, that's good. Spending more time with her husband, that's awesome. This is something I prayed for going into a marriage with opposite work schedules. I mean, that's an incredible blessing. Jeremy aside, that's an amazing blessing to have that. Think about that. I've heard that again and again, that people are working from home. And here you have a newly married couple who has this blessing because of this quarantine to be working from home together, getting on each other's nerves constantly, um, you know, also encouraging one another, I'm sure. But it's just such a great thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Wow, there's lots of, lots of them here. I'm going to read some of these. This is great. Um, Esther Zoom Bible Study. That's fantastic. Katie Burke, um, who is a nurse and who's, you know, we're talking about nurses and medical people a lot, and they are heroes. But I've said this before, they're always heroes. I mean, they're not just heroes like during this time. You just see them wearing masks. They're always wearing masks. They're always putting their lives, uh, they're putting other people's lives ahead of themselves. You know, medical workers, doctors, they hold that, they, they share a, a, a sacred title with Jesus himself. Jesus is the great physician. They're physicians. And so you have Katie, who's, who is a nurse who's helping people as she always does, working directly with patients with COVID-19. And she's talking about the Esther Zoom Bible study. And that's been fantastic to see that, that we've had these Bible studies where people who live very busy lives can just get on their computer and just open up their computer. They don't have to get in the car and drive the church or, you know, get the kids and busyness and all of that. Um, that's something that I think is just a great thing that's happened. Jessica writes, I've been able to slow down and spend genuine time with my toddlers. Um, Kurt says, weird to say it, but grown closer to his coworkers. That's interesting. Actually grown closer to his coworkers, probably because there's more and more communication, probably because they're not together as much. That's fantastic. Uh, Angela gave money to a homeless man, and I never do that. Fantastic. Um, another comment here, busyness is gone. I'm going to get to that in a minute, so I'm going to save that one. Chelsea, more time outside in nature. Taylor, more time spent with family and elderly pets. Is that pets or parents? Is that what you meant? Did you mean pets? Did you mean parents? I don't know. Maybe she meant pets. I don't know. Denise isn't old. Is Denise old? She maybe, yeah. Her elderly parents. Denise, are you elderly? Is that what Taylor's trying to say? She's talking about charity's been tutoring more. Uh, Rachel, let's see what Rachel wrote here. Extra intentional time to complete projects around the house. And we'll always be grateful for the depth of time, purposeful engagement with my family. This is fantastic. So all of these things, all of these blessings, all of these good things have been happening that may not have happened, probably wouldn't have happened if we weren't quarantined. So Paul writes about some of those things. And Paul always, you know, he begins his letters with a personal greeting to the readers. He always begins his letters with a personal greeting to the readers. In the letter to the Galatians, he chastises them. He actually, he actually skips the niceties and he, and he immediately says, I'm astonished that you've left the gospel so quickly. With the Corinthians, he 
chastises them in his opening part because there's so many factions in the church. But with the Philippians, listen, he spends a lot of time, in fact, an entire chapter, in fact, the entire letter, just encouraging them. Now, he's older now. He's written these other letters when he was a little bit younger, a little bit more brash. It wasn't wrong. There was nothing wrong with that. But here he is later on in life, older, a bit wiser, perhaps. And he spends an entire chapter just encouraging them. Like I said, he really encourages them for the entire letter. And we're going to see the good things that were happening in the Philippian church that Paul draws out. But I just want to read the opening for right now. Philippians 1, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. I love that. You are partakers with me of grace. That Paul is saying that I'm partaking in grace right along with you. It's fantastic. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn, I yearn for you, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want you to notice, like I said, how much time Paul takes in this letter, just in these first few verses even, to encourage the Philippians. He doesn't just say, you guys are great. Now let's get on to the things that I have in my mind that I want to tell you about. He doesn't just say a bunch of vague things. He doesn't just say, I'm, I'm thankful for you, and now let's move on. He takes time, and not only says that he's thankful for them, but he is very specific, and he says he yearns for them in verse 8. I yearn for you. That's a new level of good right there. Do you yearn to be among God's people? Is, it, is being among God's people something that you and I have taken for granted in the past? We did. Do we yearn to come together and worship Jesus? That's a new level of good right there. Do you yearn to be with God's people. 
You know, you can become very comfortable during this time being away from the church, being away from God's people. Are you yearning in your heart to be among God's people? That's good. But I also want us to see that Paul doesn't only encourage the Philippians in the first 14 verses, but the whole tone of the letter is encouragement. I love, and this is a new level of good, I love how much energy, how many words, how much time Paul takes to encourage the Philippians, to not take them for granted, to be very specific, to take time. It would be very easy for Paul to kind of leave them be because they were a good church. They were a great church. They didn't have a lot of problems there. They were an encouraging group of people. It would be very easy for Paul to move on to problem people, to write letters to problem churches, to, you know, talk about some of the good things and then move on to a lot of warnings and bad things with the Philippians. So many times, and this is the new level of good that I'm driving at, we spend most of our energy not on the people who encourage us, not on the people who love us, who are the most dear and important people to us, but we spend our time, our energy, our emotional energy, even our words on people who discourage us. Paul flips that concept on its head. And that is a new level of good for us. You know, in this letter, Paul does mention his opponents later on. He calls the Pharisees dogs. I mean, he doesn't really mince words. He, he calls them dogs. He later mentions two women by name who are causing some dissension, but it's really just a passing reference. He focuses 95% of the letter on encouraging the people who had encouraged him, the people who were on mission with him, those who were on mission with him, who had encouraged him, maybe some people he had taken for granted in the past. He takes time to dig deep, not into exhorting people and dealing with problem people and people who didn't like him, but instead he spends 95% of his energy, that same limited energy, building up and encouraging those who had encouraged him and who encouraged others. That is a new level of good that we can all have in our lives because we flip that in our approach. We tend to spend 95% of our energy and 95% of our words on people who maybe don't like us, people who are discouraging, maybe people who are problem people or toxic people in our lives, whoever that may be, we, we become preoccupied with that and we end up missing the 95% of the people over here who are encouraging who are dear to us, who are close to us, who are people who are constant sources of encouragement. I mean, consider this. You have someone who is special to you in your life, a person who's just supportive, a friend. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a coworker, or someone in the past who's just really encouraged you and impacted you in your life, a person who's been a real blessing in your life. You probably have lots of them 
And I'm going to ask you now that if you want to share, if you want to drop a comment, maybe even tag them in your comment, someone who's been encouraging to you, maybe someone you've taken for granted in the past, someone who's just been there for you. Go ahead and and drop that in the comments. If you'd like, you probably have a lot of them. Let's spend the same energy that we spend over here on the problem people, on the toxic people. Let's spend the same time, the same energy, all of that time, all those resources over here on the people we take for granted, on the people who constantly encourage us, on the people who love us, on the people who compliment, on the people who genuinely are on mission with you. Spend that same energy. That's what Paul does in this letter. It's incredible. Drop a comment now on the feed and share about someone in your life that when you think of them, they bring you happiness. They bring you joy. And maybe you haven't spent a lot of time. I mean, we flip it. We, we flip it, and I, I know that I do it. And I'm probably you know, a little bit of an outlier because as one of the leaders of a larger church and with the ministries that we have, you know, there can be discouragement that comes our way. And honestly, it's not always a lot, but if you have someone or a person or whoever who's discouraging or someone has a conflict here or whatever, or it's toxic and someone, you know, will, will, will come to me or write me an email or whatever, and it'll be something that's discouraging or something that needs to be corrected or whatever. I tend to spend too much time on that. I spend, I tend to spend too much time thinking about it, writing back, engaging, doing all of those things. And that's okay to engage with that. But instead, take the same energy, that same energy, writing that long email out to the person who's offended you or the person who has a conflict with you or that toxic person once again. Take that same energy and pour it in to encouraging your spouse, who's always an encouragement to you. Pour it into writing that letter to a grandparent who has always been there for you, who's always loved you, who's always encouraged you that you've never really thanked appropriately. You know, not just vaguely, but just telling them what they mean to you. You know, we flip that. Goes on and on. I mean, I could go on and on about that. It's a new level of good. The same thing goes for the provisions and the blessings in our lives. Paul's very specific through this letter about the encouraging things that have happened in his life and in their lives. I mean, we tend to focus on the curses in our lives. Instead, look at the blessings in our lives and spend 95% of our time being grateful and thankful for those things. Spend the same energy, the same focus, the same, um, the same resources on those blessings that you would have spent on the curses in your life. That's a new level of good. I also love how Paul mentions prayer three times in the first few verses. Three times. Verse three and four, Paul thanks God for them in prayer. Paul thanks God with joy for them. Verse eight, it's my prayer that your love may abound. He doesn't just pray generically, but pray specifically, that they would abound in love. And he gives a reason, he gives the reason that he prays that they will abound in love. In verse nine, he says, 
I pray that you will abound in love. And he gives the reason in verse 9. And the reason is so that they will have discernment, so that they can discern what is able to be approved as being excellent. So he prays that they will abound in love. Why? So that they can see what is excellent in their lives. That's interesting. That's a new level of good right there. How do you abound in love when you're abounding in busyness? How do you abound in love? How are you able to discern anything when you're always running, when you're always doing this, doing that? How do we abound in love at all? How do you have discernment to be able to take a few moments to approve what is excellent when you're doing everything? You know, when everything is important, nothing is important. Not everything in our lives is excellent. It isn't excellent for your child to do every single travel sport. It's just not. It isn't excellent for you, for me, to be running out the door every single night to do this thing or that thing. You can't abound in love with your family and be able to discern what is excellent when you are all going in a million different directions all the time. That's a new level of good in leaving that busyness behind once COVID-19 passes. And in going to a, not back to normal, not rushing back to what was toxic, what wasn't excellent, but a new level of good. You know, there's many downsides to COVID-19, but I also love what COVID-19 has done for many families, even for my own family. More time together, slowing down. I mean, last, last uh, yesterday, it was such a beautiful day outside, and there was people walking around my development. Um, and that, I don't, even on nice days, I haven't seen as many people walking around in the development as I saw yesterday. There was one family that had a volleyball, and they were walking around, they're just bouncing the ball to each other, the father, the mom. I mean, it was kind of cool. Other people were flying a kite. You know, when was the last time you, you flew a kite over there? Jeremy, you and Alice, you guys should fly a kite together. Never done that? It's, it's fun. You should fly a kite. You know, to discern what is excellent, to, to slow down. So yesterday, a Facebook friend of mine wrote a post. I asked permission to share it because I think it encourages us to reflect right now and to approve what is not only good, but what is excellent. That's what Paul's prayer is, is that we would be able to approve what is, what is excellent, that new level of good, that new level of excellence. And, you know, if you look at her Facebook profile, she gets typical traction, you know, posts a picture of her kids, and that gets a bunch of likes and comments. Another thing, you know, whatever, like eight comments, ten comments, whatever it may be. It's kind of like an average thing, whatever, like the rest of us. This one, though, got hundreds and hundreds of, of engagement, likes, comments, whatever it may be. Listen to what she wrote because she struck a nerve. She said this, young family, she wrote, I'm thriving. My marriage is thriving. My family is thriving. For the first time since maternity leave, I feel like I have the opportunity to fully be a wife and a mother. The kind of wife and mother I've always wanted to be. Before this quarantine, we would start every day waking up at 5.30, rushing to get dressed, 
I'd have maybe 20 minutes with my family and then I'd commute an hour to work, work tirelessly for eight plus hours, commute another hour home, pick up the kids from daycare, aftercare, rush home to cook dinner, put the kids down only after two hours of being together and then struggle every night to stay awake long enough to be a wife to my husband. Monday through Friday, every week. Now, this next, this next line is interesting. Weekends were worse. Isn't that interesting? We were never home, always running from one event to the other, from one house to the other, constant running until Monday came again. Our days are different now. We are all moving so much slower. I think that's our biggest blessing. Mornings are my favorite. We wake when the sun rises. We all make our way downstairs at our own pace, usually me first, the little one second. I have time to drink my coffee with my kids on my lap. We spend our mornings snuggling, talking about our dreams from the night before and discussing how we want to spend our day. Daytime is a little different. My husband and I work full time from home. So that comes with its struggles, but nonetheless, we are still thriving. When the kids need us, we're only a room away. We're available to them all day, every day. Even if I'm in a meeting, they have the privilege of curling up on my lap. The crazy thing is, I think my heart needs that a lot more, just as much as theirs do. I cherish our nights. It's like we are even eating slower these days. Not me. I am not. I cannot relate to that. I am not eating slower right now. It's like I'm eating everything in sight. It's crazy. Um, Got to get back to this. What she wrote was better than what I just said. Eating slower these days. We don't rush through dinner anymore. We say our prayers slower. We take our time eating together. There are extra bubbles at bath time and goodnight kisses aren't rushed. Our family is thriving. I've never been happier. We miss our extended family so much though, we can't wait to be able to hug them again. So when, when I wrote and asked permission to use this, she wrote back and I asked her for permission to share this as well. And she said, fine, listen to some of what she wrote back. She said, we are proud and thankful for what this quarantine has gifted to our family. Two months ago, we were a family that resembled robots, constantly exhausted and just strumming through our daily obligations with no real joy. We were just moving through the motions, surviving. I look back and I feel so much sadness. Now we are thriving. We've been quarantined for two months, learning every day how a family truly functions. And I've learned that my kiddos need so much more than what they were getting from me. This time together has proven that life can be so much more simple than I thought it needed to be. Like I said, it's hitting a nerve. Hundreds and hundreds of people engaging with it. That is a new level of good. There's a lot of things we don't need to rush back to. There's a lot of things in our lives, things that may have seemed like good things that have been taken away, that have been extracted, that really need to have a funeral in our lives. We shouldn't be sitting around waiting for those things to get back to normal. We should run from those things. We should run from busyness. 
Now, I know it's not all good for every single family. It's certainly not good if you've lost your job. It's certainly not good if you have a sick family member. I'm not saying that. I feel like we really pressed that in last week, that we understand that. But there's a new level of good that's available even to those who are suffering right now, that God is working all things together for your good, even during that time. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Genesis 50, 20, that things that even that man means for evil, God turns them for our good. So for all of us, there's a new level of good that's available to us during this time. New level of good. I mean, right from the start of the letter, I want to pull one little concept out. Read it again from verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Usually when Paul opens a letter, he'll say an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul, an apostle. This time, towards the end of his life, in prison, as an older man, he says as a servant. That is interesting. But I think that is a new level of good for Paul. Not that saying he was an apostle was bad, but this is a new level of good. He says, Paul, a servant. Why would he write Paul, an apostle, in the other letters. I mean, there's many reasons, but one of the negative reasons he would write it is because he was always defending himself. He was always defending that he could call himself an apostle in his earlier letters. People were saying, you're not an apostle, you're not an apostle. And he was defending himself, saying, no, I am an apostle. So he would start it off, Paul, an apostle. He was very bold. There was nothing wrong with that. But this time, towards the end of his life, in quarantine, he doesn't even bother with it. Interesting. He calls himself a servant. Is it possible that he's less concerned with position towards the end of his life while in quarantine, less concerned with proving himself. That's valid. Or is it that he, listen, he doesn't need to remind the Philippians that he's an apostle because of the way the Philippians are. Because the Philippians already recognize those gifts, that calling in the apostle Paul. They've already encouraged him to the extent where he doesn't even need to say what he is. He doesn't need to say to them what his big position is, that he's an apostle. He doesn't need to lord it over them or make sure that they understand what kind of authority he has. He can say, no, I'm a servant. I'm a servant to you. I mean, let's apply it. Do you need to tell your wife, husbands, you need to submit to me because I'm the head of this house? Do you need to do that? Do you need to say, you need to listen to me? You need to submit to me. I'm the king of the house. I mean, that sounds like a lot of fun for the wife, by the way. A new level of good is, I'm a servant to you, my wife. How can I lay down my life for you as Christ laid down his life for the church? Become the kind of husband where, you know, you don't, need to be pronouncing those things to your wife because you know what your wife will joyfully do once you become that servant? Submit to your servanthood because that's the kind of submission that it's talking about. That's a new level of good. Paul didn't need to say he was an apostle and argue the point because he knew the Philippians already saw that and already loved him and they were on to better and better things. I mean, are you lording that over 
others, your position, your title, whatever that may be in the home, or are you a servant more and more as you're quarantined? You know, that can bring out the worst in all of us in relationships. We need a new level of good. We need a new level of servanthood in our lives. Another new level of good is found in verse 3. Um, you know, none of us have anywhere to go, right? So I'm going to take my time. I'm halfway through. Um, so I'm going to take my time. I'll call the worship team up. I feel bad for you guys because you have to sit here. Um, so when I'm ready for you guys to come up, I'll let you know. It might not be for a while. Uh, because you can just turn it off if you don't like it, right? You can turn it off. You can go get bacon, go get eggs, whatever. Um, so I'll just throw the content out there and uh, we'll just keep going. I'm not going to worry about time right now. So Philippians 1 verse 3 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's interesting. Why does Paul thank God for them? Because of their partnership in the gospel. And then he says this, from the first day until now. Paul's in prison at the end of his life and instead of abandoning the gospel, instead of abandoning nothing but Jesus, he says, this is the reason why I'm so thankful for you because of your partnership in nothing but Jesus. Instead of abandoning nothing but Jesus during this difficult time, during quarantine, while he's in prison, while he's at the end of his life, get over it, nothing but Jesus, that's the past. Instead of that, he goes deeper and deeper into nothing but Jesus. He doesn't say partnership in the anything but Jesus stuff. He doesn't say I'm thankful for you because of partnership in politics or partnership in petty Christian arguments or Partnership in being firemen with you. You know, Christians always partnering together to put out this fire or that fire or whatever. Don't give up on nothing but Jesus. We can do that during times of crisis. We can do that during times of quarantine. We can give up on Jesus. You know, it's great in ordinary times. It's thought-provoking, but when crisis comes... That's when you truly know how very committed you are to nothing but Jesus. Because what I've seen, and this happens, when the chips are down, when things change in our lives, when we are in quarantine, whatever it may be, we go back to whatever our default position is. If our default position is nothing but Jesus, we'll go deeper and deeper into nothing but Jesus during that time. But if our real heart, you know, we may say nothing but Jesus in the other times or whatever, kind of go along with it. But if our default position in our heart is really, you know, that our Lord and Savior is this politician or that politician, or our default position is petty legalisms, or our default position is um, uh, petty Christian theological arguments that nobody cares about except for a small group of Christians. If, you know, 
our default position is works, 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 and being judgmental of others and being hypocritical, then when times of crisis hit, that's what will emerge from us. That's what will come out from us. It won't be nothing but Jesus. If our default position is cynicism, that's the one I struggle with. I mean, that's, there's more than one that I struggle with. That's one of the things that I struggle with. If your default position is discouragement, and you take all of that together, you know what it leads to ultimately is back to confusion. Back to being a confused person, a confused Christian. Because there's all of these things, all of these anything but Jesus things. You know, which one do you go for? You know, what about the conspiracy theories about COVID-19? That can be our default position is being cynical and, and basically saying that this whole thing is, isn't, isn't really what it seems or whatever, and it may or may not be, instead of focusing on nothing but Jesus. Paul says from the first day until the last that consistently they're partners in the gospel. Paul is saying there that Jesus isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life. That he's not just the beginning of the Christian life, but that Jesus is the A through Z of the Christian life. That Jesus isn't just what saves us. Jesus is who sustains us, who changes us, who is with us during these times, who sanctifies us. That it's all Jesus doing that, not us, not ourselves. I love that Paul mentions Jesus he mentions Jesus here at the end of his life, towards the end of his life, in prison, in quarantine. He doesn't talk about conspiracies about him being imprisoned. He doesn't go back to, you know, really going after the Pharisees over and over and over again, all of his old opponents. He doesn't go back to old default positions that we would go back to many times. He goes back to Jesus. I want you to notice six times, six times in the first few verses he mentions the name of Jesus. Verse one, to the saints in Christ Jesus. Verse two, grace and peace from Christ Jesus. I mean, just that alone, grace and peace. That's a new level of good. To be a person of grace in Christ Jesus. You know, who are you harboring a grudge against? Who haven't you forgiven? Who is it that you need to show unmerited favor to? I mean, it's so convicting. Grace, the only way that that happens in our hearts is through nothing but Jesus. New level of good, verse two, peace in Christ Jesus. Peace means an absence of war. It means the end of internal strife and external strife. Don't you long for that? That's a new level of good is not internal strife, external strife, war here, battle here. It's peace. Verse six, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it as you try harder and harder and harder because it's all up to you. No, in Christ Jesus, there it is again. Verse 10, be pure and blameless in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness in Christ Jesus. Nothing but Jesus, and the worship team can make their way up now, is a new level of good. Nothing but 
Jesus apply to every area of our lives, to our relationships at home, even when you're, you know, they're driving you crazy, to forgiving others, to letting go of grudges, to more and more peace in our hearts and in our lives, more and more grace shown, not only to those around us, but even to ourselves. Why? Because we're going to try harder, because we're going back to this default position or that default position? No, because of nothing but Jesus. I want to encourage you this coming week, what does a new level of good look like? Not a, not a new level of normal, but a new level of good. I want to encourage you to reflect, to uh, immerse yourself in the book of Philippians, to read it. Every single line is rich with encouragement and challenge that will change us and will take us to that new level of good. Let's worship together.